Welcome to Jam Sessions 2020, a series of 42 episodes celebrating my work and 42 years of being a marriage and family therapist. Yep, it's coming up on 42 years since I saw my very first client in June of 1978. This is Jane Ann Murray, president of J.A. Murray Consultants and your host of the podcast. In this episode, we are speaking of family ties, elements of family systems that bind family members together, that bind generations of families together in healthy and unhealthy ways. It's not my place as a family therapist to judge how you make your family work. I've seen so many unusual and peculiar functioning families over the course of years. However, we call families with numerous issues and problems dysfunctional. By that, I only mean that they continue to function. Oh, yes, they do. But yet with great pain. Some conscious and behavioral pain and some very deep and unexpressed pain. When I started the podcast, uh, just... Everything was just shutting down uh, with COVID, the the COVID-19 pandemic. And I was thinking today of the radical changes that families uh, have made over the course of the last few months. Families are confined and isolated, having to be together, whether they like it or not. Constant family time, 24-7, different than needing to make space Uh, or wanting date nights or quality time for their kids, couples, and activities. In times past, (laughs) I laugh about it now. It's actually, it's not funny, but in times past, I had uh, couples and families arguing, and I mean fighting in my office, over what was reasonable in terms of watching TV or how much time to spend on the internet. I mean, sessions of real life fights um, where they were trying to agree on boundaries around uh, private, social entertainment and no TV time. Now in this period of COVID with the pandemic, we rely on the internet for survival, for connectivity, for business, for connection to one another through the social platforms, for education of our kids, for news, for updates and entertainment. Where would we be in this unprecedented time of pandemic without games, Netflix, and the news? Even as I'm recording this, my 95-year-old dad is lying in a hospital bed, having had a bad fall just days after he lost his wife of 70 years. In praise of technology, we have been able to do a video call and I can see and talk to him as the hospital is in very strict lockdown with no visitors. It's marvelous for me as I'm also self-isolating. What would we do without the marvel of technology that we once fought so, so, uh, uh, (laughs) that we once fought over? Uh, As we're grieving the passing of my mom, we're looking back with fondness on her role in the family. Sheila was a force to be reckoned with. And if you have opportunity to go back to my podcast number five, My Mother, Myself, that episode pays tribute to some of the ways uh, family ties were strengthened for us 
and for other families in our friendship circle. Family businesses are family ties. Oh, we could do a whole bunch of episodes on the dynamics of family family businesses where generations of families pass on the business and hopefully they have good succession plans. But we'll come back to family businesses because that is a really strong tie. Legacies are family ties. Check out the episode uh, on Frozen and Legacies. Family traditions, cottages, lakes, rivers, vacation homes where families gather are incredible family ties. I actually had one client who relayed to me that the only place where the family never fought was at their summer cottage. Somehow there was a truce at the cottage. In a smaller space, everyone put their differences aside. They knew the boundaries. They were civil to one another at the table. No one fought over whose canoe or what boat or what beach time or what they were having for dinner. It was truly peculiar and a miracle, but it worked. Families will go to great lengths to preserve what they love. And it turned into a place of peace. What's in a family name? Family names tie families together. For example, potatoes and french fries tie the McCain family together. The Rockefellers, the Hiltons. What's in a family name? What is your family famous for? Or known for? And what are the family ties that bind you? Sometimes the family name is passed down through the lineage and what has been passed down can be anything from anything in your family, perhaps heirlooms, antiques, property, pieces of jewelry, even your given name. Perhaps that is a family tie that binds you together. And do you know the person whose name you bear? that might be an ancestor a couple of generations back. Names bind you together. Other examples like wedding songs um, and music, rituals, special birthdays, landmarks, anniversaries, all honoring special family times and events. These are family ties. I want to share a long story with you. Uh, One of my clients, it was one of the longer pieces of work that I did, uh, but it's so exemplary of family ties. I want to share it with you. One of my clients who did incredible work presented at the very beginning with a locked jaw. She could barely speak. She faintly began to unfold her story that her jaw had locked the day she had tried to approach her brother about the abuse that she had experienced at the hand of her father. The brother whacked her across the face and spat on her, threatening to have her banished from the family altogether if she uttered another word. 
her jaw locked that day. Her jaw locked the day her brother threatened her. After all, this family was one uh, was a well-known family in their community. They were religious leaders. They had successful farms. They were in private education. No one in the family was allowed to smear or darken the family tie or name, no matter what was going on behind the scenes. Her faint call for help through her clenched teeth was such an act of bravery. It had taken her numerous years to muster up the guts to call for help. She was determined to seek justice and to be heard, and she needed to tell her story desperately, even with her mouth shut. A few sessions into it, uh, she arrived with a banker's box, which she plunked down on my desk and said, so there, here it is. I've written it all down. Every incident, every family function, everything is in the box. My writing of my story started when my dad died. I had to write it down so I would remember. And so that my other family members and even my nephews and nieces possibly could be salvaged from any kind of abuse. She said, I actually don't remember writing some of it, but words would flow out of me at all different times of the day or night, like rivers flowing to a very large mouth of a large ocean. (laughs) We actually both chuckled when she said to the mouth of a large ocean, uh, since she couldn't open her mouth. Uh, But she did say, "Um, I guess that's why my mouth and my jaw is locked shut. I need to tell someone before I can't speak and before it all gets lost in a sea of other stuff. So there, will you read it? I agreed. Yes. The box was pads and pads of legal paper uh, with different writing styles, actually two different writing styles, one of her in the present moment and another in a different font style, which was her uh, disassociated writing state from outside her hand and her body so that she could relax, she could relay the facts of the abuse without being physically crippled um, by her own emotions or the situations. At first, I thought it might be symptomatic of multiple personality disorder, uh, but she was so in control of what she said and also my supervisor and I concurred um, that she had an incredible defense structure and an incredible survival uh, mechanisms that had enabled her to over the years get that all out and down in a safe way. She said to me, take your time. This is a book in the making and could make you famous one day. We chuckled again. I said, no, this is your story, your life, your intimate account. Boy, you've been brave, incredibly brave. It takes a lot of nerve to risk exposure like this. And it takes courage to be this vulnerable. It was indeed like reading bestsellers, like reading a bestseller, a psychological thriller. It was incredible. 
and it had been written over a number of years. Epic. I likened it because of the religious elements to the works of the priest Andrew Greeley, whose novels like The Cardinal Sins were his own therapy, and to Susan Howitch, the English novelist who wrote of the Church of England with intrigue and psychological complications, and to Kellerman, the psychologist who writes psychological criminal stories as a therapist. It reminded me of the Netflix miniseries called Bloodlines, all of which, including her banker's box, would make an incredible miniseries. In between our sessions, I would randomly pick out and start reading from a, a legal pad. It was incredibly detailed and grammatically descriptive and correct. In this client's case, the farms, the chickens, the eggs, the Christian school, the church, the family, the events, um, all masked the abuse by the father as he attempted to bathe and prepare his children to sit stately in a row in church on a Sunday. Well, that's a family tie. Writings of fondling and molestation and an eventual progression into a ritual around intercourse usually happened on a Saturday and were, co- and were covered and then written in extensive detail at a later time. She wrote from her earliest childhood memory at age two, sharing the bathtub with a number of, as much as she could remember with other siblings or sharing the dirty water because they were saving water, saving money on water. By the time she was sharing it with me, she was in her 30s. All my client really wanted was to know whether it had happened to her other siblings. My client did love her dad. Uh, she worked for him on the farm. She was a loyal, subservient farm girl always working overtime, probably and usually the last person. And her reward was an orgasm at the back of the truck on the way home as the sun went down. Session after session, we unpacked legal pad after legal pad, detail after detail, week after week, and year after year. I'm telling you, family ties or loyalty and defending the family name prevailed through it all. The writings were her therapy, her truth, her proof of what had happened until she finally got up the nerve to make that call for help. Interestingly enough, um, the client one day asked me if I thought her mother knew what was going on as she described her mother's Saturday night ritual. While the abuse was happening upstairs, her mother was scouring the front hallway and front steps of the house so that the family could exit to church on a Sunday. As my client described it, clean. We could go to church clean. And her mom would say, we're all clean. As we go to church, our sins are washed as white as snow. Do you think the mom knew? After chiropractic work, which, tra- which was traumatic at first, and cranial sacral therapy and other forms of therapy, as the client's story unfolded slowly but surely, her mouth began to open 
slowly but surely. One day, uh, later on, in one of our sessions, I noticed that she was wearing a wedding ring on her marriage finger, fourth finger. I actually didn't comment comment on it that day, uh, but I decided to return to her journals and to see if there were if there was any reference to it. Ah, the ring, a family tie. Aha, from a disassociated state, at around age 11, there was an, uh, an, an entry that said at the top of the page, today I married my dad. What a family tie. In an encounter in the back of the truck on the way home, her dad had given her the ring and told her how much he loved her, that she was the most special love of his life. And he handed her uh, the, le- the, the ring uh, for self-keeping. He thanked her for letting him treat her special as he violated her that day. She had written... Does this mean I'm married to my dad? Am I making babies with my dad? And what happens to my mom? I better not tell my mom. She might be angry. Now that is a family tie. She said, I will only wear the ring at special times. So in another session, again, I noticed the ring. And this time I commented. I noticed one other time when you were wearing uh, the ring on your fourth hand that you it's on your marriage hand. Where did you get that ring? Without a blip, she said, I'm married to my father and I know it's wrong. Can we talk about this? She answered, yes. Confidently, actually. This is a very special time. I only wear it for special times and therapy is a special private time for me. So I asked her, can I read you something from your journal? I noticed before you were wearing the ring, but I decided not to comment until I had reread parts of your journal to see if it was referenced. She asked me, will it hurt me? I'm, I'm not sure, but this is a special time and a private safe place to use your words. And if it hurts, I'm here for you and can help you with the hurt. It actually was at that moment that I realized she had written the journals, but she had never really read them. I read to her from her journal, the excerpt. We both ended up in tears about the ring. And then there was a huge, long silence before she said, will I be healed if I divorce my dad? She said, divorce is a no-no in our religious culture. I know it's wrong, but in our culture, if you have sex with a man, you're married to that man. And then she said, I always felt bad for my mom but I never told her, so she wouldn't be hurt. She had an aha moment saying, and she kind of chuckled, no wonder I'm single. I'm married to my dad. Let's get this over quick. I think I can handle it. My dad is dead. The abuse stopped when he died, and 
he can't come after me. I asked the question, how would you like to divorce? She said, I want to cut the tie with him and my family. I don't want them to allow me, I, I don't want them to, I don't, I personally don't want to allow them to hurt me any longer. I want to bury the ring with my dad where he is buried. I don't think I can be in a real relationship ever until I divorce and rebury my dad. Over the next few sessions, we drew up divorce papers. We read from the journals and ripped some of the pages out that she would add to the divorce. We relinquished any support from the family and she relinquished and cut lineage ties from him. She put all his belongings that he had given her uh, in a box. Upon her dad's passing, she recounted that each of the children had been given a piece of their dad to remember him by. And she always felt guilty that she already had the ring, which she had never revealed to anyone. She received a plaid, uh, genuine Viella shirt that he often wore in the fall with a vest. When my client actually wore the, the, the vest and the shirt, she looked just like the picture that she had shown me. Very masculine. An incredible family tie. She said she'd only visited the grave once since her dad's death and was angered by the too perfect stone. She wanted to somehow vandalize her dad's story and stone. She said, would you help me bury this? All of it. Can I forgive him and bury the stuff as if to say what happened is dead so that I can have a new and different and hopefully better life. I actually really do need a witness that this really happened. I didn't just make this up. This is my true story. So we agreed on a date and we made the drive together to the cemetery on the outskirts of her hometown. She brought a tennis racket. I brought a clipboard, pen, and paper to make some notes. With the tennis racket, she was determined to put a crack in that too perfect stone and to make her mark and to leave a mark. That actually took a while. We were there a long time. And no word of a lie, we were being followed, assumed to be reporters, faking, grieving, as just a few graves down, a body was being exhumed by a forensic team. The cemetery keeper challenged us as to why we were there. And I thought she explained herself very well to the property manager. I took notes of everything she said. She buried the ring in an envelope with the divorce papers using a small trowel. We left the box with the shirt and the vest and a few other items by the stone, which eventually did have a chip out of it. As far as she knew, no other siblings had been to the grave since the burial. The box would let them know that she had been there before it might be removed or, or brought away. We met a number of sessions after that, but that, that was monumental for her and for me. I don't think she realized her own internal strength 
and her physical strength. And after the burial and the divorce, she felt free, liberated from a family tie that had burdened her. She was now in her late 30s. Um, and, by, and, and was so crippled in so many ways. And by the time, um, and by this time, she still had, as she could open her mouth now, she still had aspirations to golf, uh, to be in a relationship. She went on actually to have a very successful real estate career. She moved to a new city. Uh, she could eventually open her mouth and chew food that she hadn't enjoyed for years. She put on some weight as she'd gotten down to be skin and bones. She acquired braces and repositioned her mouth, her teeth, and her jaw. We eventually lost touch. But I still have the banker's box of her legal pad journals. I hold it in a safe place for safekeeping. And I haven't opened it since our work finished. She didn't, she didn't ever want it back. There is so much more I could say about this story, and it will appear pieces of it in other episodes. In the traditional formal marriage ceremony of many denominations, it says, as the father and mother, I give the bride away to be married. For this cause, a man and woman leave their father and mother, cleave to one another, and the two become one what God joins together, let no person separate. My client did the necessary ritual work of leaving. She separated herself from her family so that she could join eventually uh, in a new way, in a new life, with possibly a new person. And she vowed to be honest and open She did the necessary and painful work of leaving that family, that family tie that bound her to the abuse. It's such an incredible story of triumph. Uh, And I remind you that the situations and the severity uh, have been altered uh, for you, the audience. So I ask you, if you have experienced an unusual or inappropriate joining if you're getting ready to leave, if you, if you need to leave or are getting ready to leave an experience uh, of your life or a piece of your life that you need to let go of, if someone's crippling you from living your true self, if you, if you need to confront, actually, if you're, if you're preparing to join with someone either in marriage or living together, Uh, in a healthy relationship, if you need to take inventory of the family ties or patterns that you may bring to that relationship that might influence your behavior or your choices in relationship, I beg of you to do that work of leaving and cleaving and joining. If you've been hurt by a family member, please be brave. Drop me an email to jamconsults at gmail with jam sessions in the subject line. You have a voice. You have a story that's a true story. And you may even have a journal, a documentation of your story that you're reluctant to reopen or share. We can do that together, safely, 
fully supported in a no-judgment zone of healing and release. I am more than willing to hold your story safely until you decide how you want to live with it or beyond it, beyond the family tie that binds. So until next time. Welcome to Jam Sessions 2020, a series of 42 episodes celebrating my work and 42 years of being a marriage and family therapist. Yep, it's coming up on 42 years since I saw my very first client in June of 1978. This is Jane Ann Murray, president of J.A. Murray Consultants and your host of the podcast. In this episode, we are speaking of family ties elements of family systems that bind family members together, that bind generations of families together in healthy and unhealthy ways. It's not my place as a family therapist to judge how you make your family work. I've seen so many unusual and peculiar functioning families over the course of years. However, we call families with numerous issues and problems dysfunctional. By that, I only mean that they continue to function. Oh, yes, they do. But yet with great pain, some conscious and behavioral pain, and some very deep and unexpressed pain. When I started the podcast, uh, just everything was just shutting down uh, with COVID the COVID-19 pandemic. And I was thinking today of the radical changes that families uh, have made over the course of the last few months. Families are confined and isolated, having to be together, whether they like it or not. Constant family time, 24-7, different than needing to make space uh, or wanting date nights or quality time for their kids, couples, and activities. In times past, (laughs) I laugh about it now. It's actually, it's not funny, but in times past, I had uh, couples and families arguing, and I mean fighting in my office over what was reasonable in terms of watching TV or how much time to spend on the internet. I mean, sessions of real life fights um, where they were trying to agree on boundaries around uh, private, social, entertainment, and no TV time. Now, in this period of COVID with the pandemic, we rely on the internet for survival, for connectivity, for business, for connection to one another through the social platforms, for education of our kids, for news, for updates and entertainment. Where would we be in this unprecedented time of pandemic? without games, Netflix, and the news. Even as I'm recording this, my 95-year-old dad is lying in a hospital bed, having had a bad fall just days after he lost his wife of 70 years. 
in praise of technology, we have been able to do a video call and I can see and talk to him as the hospital is in very strict lockdown with no visitors. It's marvelous for me as I'm also self-isolating. What would we do without the marvel of technology that we once fought so, so, uh, uh, (laughs) that we once fought over? Uh, As we're grieving the passing of my mom, we're looking back with fondness on her role in the family. Sheila was a force to be reckoned with. And if you have opportunity to go back to my podcast number five, My Mother, Myself, that episode pays tribute to some of the ways uh, family ties were strengthened for us and for other families in our friendship circle. Family businesses are family ties. Oh, we could do a whole bunch of episodes on the dynamics of family family businesses where generations of families pass on the business and hopefully they have good succession plans. But we'll come back to family businesses because that is a really strong tie. Legacies are family ties. Check out the episode uh, on Frozen and Legacies. Family traditions, cottages, lakes, rivers, vacation homes where families gather are incredible family ties. I actually had one client who relayed to me that the only place where the family never fought was at their summer cottage. Somehow there was a truce at the cottage. In a smaller space, everyone put their differences aside. They knew the boundaries. They were civil to one another at the table. No one fought over whose canoe or what boat or what beach time or what they were having for dinner. It was truly peculiar and a miracle, but it worked. Families will go to great lengths to preserve what they love. And it turned into a place of peace. What's in a family name? Family names tie families together. For example, potatoes and french fries tie the McCain family together. The Rockefellers, the Hiltons. What's in a family name? What is your family famous for or known for? And what are the family ties that bind you? Sometimes the family name is passed down through the lineage and what has been passed down can be anything from anything in your family, perhaps heirlooms, antiques, property, pieces of jewelry, even your given name. Perhaps that is a family tie that binds you together. And do you know the person whose name you bear? that might be an ancestor a couple of generations back. Names bind you together. Other examples like wedding songs um, and music, rituals, special birthdays, landmarks, anniversaries, all honoring special family times and events. These are family ties.
I want to share a long story with you. Uh, one of my clients, it was one of the longer pieces of work that I did, uh, but it's so exemplary of family ties. I want to share it with you. One of my clients who did incredible work presented at the very beginning with a locked jaw. She could barely speak. She faintly began to unfold her story that her jaw had locked the day she had tried to approach her brother about the abu abuse that she had experienced at the hand of her father. The brother whacked her across the face and spat on her, threatening to have her banished from the family altogether if she uttered another word. Her jaw locked that day. Her jaw locked the day her brother threatened her. After all, this family was one uh, was a well-known family in their community. They were religious leaders. They had successful farms. They were in private education. No one in the family was allowed to smear or darken the family tie or name, no matter what was going on behind the scenes. Her faint call for help through her clenched teeth was such an act of bravery. It had taken her numerous years to muster up the guts to call for help. She was determined to seek justice and to be heard, and she needed to tell her story desperately, even with her mouth shut. A few sessions into it, uh, she arrived with a banker's box, which she plunked down on my desk and said, so there, here it is. I I've written it all down, every incident, every family function, everything is in the box. My writing of my story started when my dad died. I had to write it down so I would remember. And so that my other family members and even my nephews and nieces possibly could be salvaged from any kind of abuse. She said, I actually don't remember writing some of it, but words would flow out of me at all different times of the day or night, like rivers flowing to a very large mouth of a large ocean. <laughs> we actually both chuckled when she said to the mouth of a large ocean, uh, since she couldn't open her mouth. Uh, but she did say, um, I guess that's why my mouth and my jaw is locked shut. I need to tell someone before I can't speak and before it all gets lost in a sea of other stuff. So there, will you read it? I agreed. Yes. The box was pads and pads of legal paper uh, with different writing styles, actually two different writing styles, one of her in the present moment and another in a different font style, which was her uh, disassociated writing state from outside her hand and her body so that she could, relax, she could relay the facts of the abuse without being physically crippled um, by her own emotions or the situations. At first, I thought it might be symptomatic of multiple personality disorder, uh, but she was so in control of what she said and also my supervisor and I concurred um, that she had an incredible defense structure and an incredible survival 
uh, mechanisms that had enabled her to, over the years, get that all out and down in a safe way. But she said to me, take your time. This is a book in the making and could make you famous one day. We chuckled again. I said, no, this is your story, your life, your intimate account. Boy, you've been brave, incredibly brave. It takes a lot of nerve to risk exposure like this. And it takes courage to be this vulnerable. It was indeed like reading bestsellers, like reading a bestseller, a psychological thriller. It was incredible. And it had been written over a number of years. Epic. I likened it because of the religious elements to the works of the priest Andrew Greeley, whose novels like The Cardinal Sins were his own therapy, and to Susan Howitch, the English novelist who wrote of the Church of England with intrigue and psychological complications, and to Kellerman, the psychologist who writes psychological criminal stories as a therapist. It reminded me of the Netflix miniseries called Bloodlines, all of which, including her banker's box, would make an incredible miniseries. In between our sessions, I would randomly pick out and start reading from a, a legal pad. It was incredibly detailed and grammatically descriptive and correct. In this client's case, the farms, the chickens, the eggs, the Christian school, the church, the family, the events, um, all masked the abuse by the father as he attempted to bathe and prepare his children to sit stately in a row in church on a Sunday. Well, that's a family time. Writings of fondling and molestation and an eventual progression into a ritual around intercourse usually happened on a Saturday and were, co- and were covered and then written in extensive detail at a later time. She wrote from her earliest childhood memory at age two, sharing the bathtub with a number of, as much as she could remember with other siblings or sharing the dirty water because they were saving water, saving money on water. By the time she was sharing it with me, she was in her 30s. All my client really wanted was to know whether it had happened to her other siblings. My client did love her dad. Uh, she worked for him on the farm. She was a loyal, subservient farm girl always working overtime, probably and usually the last person. And her reward was an orgasm at the back of the truck on the way home as the sun went down. Session after session, we unpacked legal pad after legal pad, detail after detail, week after week, and year after year. I'm telling you, family ties or loyalty and defending the family name prevailed through it all. The writings were her therapy, her truth, her proof of what had happened until she finally got up the nerve to make that call for help. Interestingly enough, um, the client one day asked me if I thought her mother knew what was going on 
as she described her mother's Saturday night ritual. While the abuse was happening upstairs, her mother was scouring the front hallway and front steps of the house so that the family could exit to church on a Sunday. As my client described it, clean. We could go to church clean. And her mom would say, we're all clean. As we go to church, our sins are washed as white as snow. Do you think the mom knew? After chiropractic work, which which was traumatic at first, and cranial sacral therapy and other forms of therapy, as the client's story unfolded slowly but surely, her mouth began to open slowly but surely. One day, uh, later on, in one of our sessions, I noticed that she was wearing a wedding ring on her marriage finger, fourth finger. I actually didn't comment it on comment on it that day, uh, but I decided to return to her journals and to see if there were there was any reference to it. Ah, the ring, a family tie. Aha, from a disassociated state. At around age 11, there was an, uh, an, an entry that said at the top of the page, today I married my dad. What a family tie. In an encounter in the back of the truck on the way home, her dad had given her the ring and told her how much he loved her, that she was the most special love of his life. And he handed her uh, the, le- the, the ring Uh, for self-keeping. He thanked her for letting him treat her special as he violated her that day. She had written, does this mean I'm married to my dad? Am I making babies with my dad? And what happens to my mom? I better not tell my mom. She might be angry. Now that is a family tie. She said, I will only wear the ring at special times. So in another session, again, I noticed the ring. And this time I commented. I noticed one other time when you were wearing uh, the ring on your fourth hand that you, it's on your marriage hand. Where did you get that ring? Without a blip, she said, I'm married to my father and I know it's wrong. Can we talk about this? She answered, yes, confidently, actually. This is a very special time. I only wear it for special times, and therapy is a special private time for me. So I asked her, can I read you something from your journal? I noticed before you were wearing the ring, but I decided not to comment until I had reread parts of your journal to see if it was referenced. She asked me, will it hurt me? I'm I'm not sure, but this is a special time and a private safe place to use your words. And if it hurts, I'm here for you and can help you with the hurt. It actually was at that moment that I realized she had written the journals, but she had never really read them. I read to her from her journal, the excerpt. We both ended up in tears about the ring. 
And then there was a huge, long silence before she said, Will I be healed if I divorce my dad? She said, Divorce is a no-no in our religious culture. I know it's wrong, but in our culture, if you have sex with a man, you're married to that man. And then she said, I always felt bad for my mom, but I never told her so she wouldn't be hurt. She had an aha moment saying, and she kind of chuckled, no wonder I'm single. I'm married to my dad. Let's get this over quick. I think I can handle it. My dad is dead. The abuse stopped when he died and he can't come after me. I asked the question, how would you like to divorce? She said, I want to cut the tie with him and my family. I don't want them to allow me, I, I don't want them to, I don't, I personally don't want to allow them to hurt me any longer. I want to bury the ring with my dad where he is buried. I don't think I can be in a real relationship ever until I divorce and rebury my dad. Over the next few sessions, we drew up divorce papers. We read from the journals and ripped some of the pages out that she would add to the divorce. We relinquished any support from the family. And she relinquished and cut lineage ties from him. She put all his belongings that he had given her uh, in a box. Upon her dad's passing, she recounted that each of the children had been given a piece of their dad to remember him by. And she always felt guilty that she already had the ring, which she had never revealed to anyone. She received a plaid, uh, genuine Viella shirt that he often wore in the fall with a vest. When my client actually wore the, the, the vest and the shirt, she looked just like the picture that she had shown me. Very masculine. An incredible family tie. She said she'd only visited the grave once since her dad's death and was angered by the too perfect stone. She wanted to somehow vandalize her dad's story and stone. She said, would you help me bury this? All of it. Can I forgive him and bury the stuff as if to say what happened is dead so that I can have a new and different and hopefully better life. I actually really do need a witness that this really happened. I didn't just make this up. This is my true story. So we agreed on a date and we made the drive together to the cemetery on the outskirts of her hometown. She brought a tennis racket. I brought a clipboard, pen, and paper to make some notes. With the tennis racket, she was determined to put a crack in that too perfect stone and to make her mark and to leave a mark. That actually took a while. We were there a long time. And no word of a lie, we were being followed, assumed to be reporters, faking, grieving, as just a few graves down, a body was being exhumed by a forensic team. The cemetery keeper challenged us as to why we were there. 
and I thought she explained herself very well to the property manager. I took notes of everything she said. She buried the ring in an envelope with the divorce papers using a small trowel. We left the box with the shirt and the vest and a few other items by the stone, which eventually did have a chip out of it. As far as she knew, no other siblings had been to the grave since the burial. The box would let them know that she had been there before it might be removed or or brought away. We met a number of sessions after that, but that, that was monumental for her and for me. I don't think she realized her own internal strength and her physical strength. And after the burial, and the divorce, she felt free, liberated from a family tie that had burdened her. She was now in her late 30s. Um, and, by, and, and was so crippled in so many ways. And by the time, um, and by this time, she still had, as she could open her mouth now, she still had aspirations to golf, uh, to be in a relationship, She went on, actually, to have a very successful real estate career. She moved to a new city. Uh, She could eventually open her mouth and chew food that she hadn't enjoyed for years. She put on some weight as she'd gotten down to be skin and bones. She acquired braces and repositioned her mouth, her teeth, and her jaw. We eventually lost touch but I still have the banker's box of her legal pad journals. I hold it in a safe place for safekeeping and I haven't opened it since our work finished. She She didn't ever want it back. There is so much more I could say about this story and it will appear pieces of it in other episodes. In the traditional formal marriage ceremony of many denominations it says as the father and mother I give the bride away to be married for this cause a man and woman leave their father and mother cleave to one another and the two become one and what God joins together let no person separate my client did the necessary ritual work of leaving she separated herself from her family so that she could join eventually uh, in a new way, in a new life, with possibly a new person. And she vowed to be honest and open. She did the necessary and painful work of leaving that family, that family tie that bound her to the abuse. It's such an incredible story of triumph. Uh, And I remind you that the situations and the severity uh, have been altered uh, for you, the audience. So I ask you, if you have experienced an unusual or inappropriate joining, if you're getting ready to leave, if you you need to leave or getting ready to leave an experience uh, of your life or a piece of your life that you need to let go of, if someone's crippling you from living your true self, if you, if you need to confront, actually, if you're, if you're preparing to join with someone either in marriage or living together, 
uh, in a healthy relationship, if you need to take inventory of the family ties or patterns that you may bring to that relationship that might influence your behavior or your choices in relationship, I beg of you to do that work of leaving and cleaving and joining. If you've been hurt by a family member, please be brave. Drop me an email to jamconsults at gmail with jam sessions in the subject line. You have a voice. You have a story that's a true story. And you may even have a journal, a documentation of your story that you're reluctant to reopen or share. We can do that together, safely, fully supported, in a no-judgment zone of healing and release. I am more than willing to hold your story safely until you decide how you want to live with it or beyond it, beyond the family tie that binds. So until next time.